All right, well, let me ask. It's uh, two days before Christmas. This is usually when the men kick it into high gear. How many people have finished their Christmas shopping? Raise their hands. All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, how many people have a few more people yet to go? Okay. Hopefully that's not mine you're considering, right? Mine's already done, right? All right. How many people who have finished their Christmas shopping already feel like they just got the ultimate present for the person that they wanted to buy for this year? Raise your hand. That You just knocked it out of the park. All right. What, what did you get, Kelly? And who did you get it for? Uh, <laughs> mine's that good, huh? Good. Good, good. All right. Well, we know there's many of you are not finished with your Christmas shopping yet, so then I have to ask this follow-up question. How many of you have seen Star Wars already? Look at that. The same people who are not finished with their Christmas shopping have all seen Star Wars. So if you're one of their loved ones, you see where you rank on the whole uh, totem pole of existence. Well, this morning we come to our conclusion in our series that we've entitled Our Salvation. And we have been looking at the greatest gift ever provided for mankind, and that is the gift of Jesus Christ. And looking specifically at the salvation in which he's provided for all mankind. A salvation, though, that must be appropriated by each and every individual has been provided for anyone who will reach out to him and receive that in which he has provided for us. Many of us as Christians, I think, often reduce the idea of the understanding of our salvation to simply think that I am now born again and I am now a Christian and I do Christian things and then when I die, I go to heaven. And that's certainly true. But it is very minimalistic. And the whole understanding of what the salvation of Jesus Christ has actually done and provided for us. It is that that I'm trying to remind all of us of this Christmas season. So that when we come together this Tuesday and we worship our Savior, that we remember that the salvation in which He provided for us was so comprehensive that it changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. That salvation began with a rescue mission, number one. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to find you and I. And in this rescue mission, he rescued us from sin, the consequences of sin, which, are, which is death. He rescued us from the slavery and the bondage and the subjected uh, nature of our relationship with the ruler of this world, the evil one. And ultimately, he saved us from that moment of having to stand before a holy God in and of ourselves alone, only to experience the wrath of God. But after he uh, rescued us, he didn't just leave us there. He adopted us. And in that adoption, he provided a purpose and a plan and an identity to each one of us. And that was all found in the inheritance in which he has given us, which we looked at in our second stage of our salvation. 
But in the adoption process, we found that a work began within us, a work that he has started and faithful to complete, a renewal project, sanctifying us from the inside out and bringing about that restored, perfected state that we once were created in. He is now working to bring us back into, uh, in and through the person of Jesus Christ. When Paul says that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, understand that Paul was saying that we are being restored into the image of perfection. Christ was perfect. It's not that we're all going to have long hair and beards. And some people, of course, reduce it to something like that. Or they simply see it as characteristically we'll uh, imitate and we will reflect Christ uh, more accurately to the world around us. That is true in a sense, but what actually is happening is that God is restoring us. He's bringing us back from that fallen state after the moment that we were created in in perfection, then we fell, and now he's bringing us back to that perfection once and for all. And in that process, it's a renewal process. But that renewal process has a conclusion. We will one day be restored. Meaning we're not going to be the everlasting project that never gets completed. That one day we will be perfect again. And I mean, when I talk about perfect, I'm talking about being whole once again. Because let us remember that the fall um, tainted and distorted every aspect of the creation. From the actual creation itself around us to who we are as individuals. Let us understand that it affected us theologically. It severed our relationship with God. Let us understand that it affected us biologically, where we were created in perfection to live for eternity. Now we have an expiration date assigned to us due to the sin that has brought about death. Let's remember that psychologically we were uh, damaged due to the fall, where we think differently, and where we were at one time others-centered. Self became the prime uh, purpose of existence within the heart and the mind of the individual. And of course, as that occurred psychologically through society, Sociology, we see that the relationships between man, woman, friends, etc., all have been damaged by the fall. And God's going to restore all of that. And he's in the process of doing that today. Each and every one of you who are followers of Jesus Christ and are here this morning, God is renewing you. But one day, you and I will be restored. That that work will end. And Jesus will have accomplished all that he set out to accomplish in and through his first coming. And as a result, you and I will celebrate for all eternity. That's why when Paul said that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Do you see how much larger the context is now? 
that we see it now in the light of rescuing and relationship and renewal and restored. <coughs> it's much larger than we've ever anticipated. Or when we find that when Paul outlines for us in Romans 8.30, he who has predestined, he is called, he who is called, he is justified. And he who he has justified, he has glorified. Do you see the much larger context to what Paul was saying there? It isn't just that we arrive in heaven and we have a reserved table and we're near the stage, etc. And we enjoy this for all eternity. No, a much, much more grand and majestic plan is being unfolded before us each and every day in and through the salvation in which Jesus Christ has provided for us. As we began, I taught you the Bible in 30 seconds. And because some of you didn't get it because you felt it was too comprehensive and too long, we're going to do it again. <clears throat> the Bible starts out on this page with God creating everything that is perfect and good, yet, and he even claimed that after he gave it, it's his seal of approval. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said, all is good. And then something happens. Thinking that we can perfect God's perfection, we succumb to the temptation of the evil one on this page right here. Now remember, we enjoyed perfection for one whole page. Then we fell, right? And then we went into the, rest, the salvation program which lasted all the way up until, hold on, all the way up, oh, I'm not there yet, not there yet, look at this, not there yet, all the way up until here. This is what God needed to do to restore us to Him once again. And I believe that one of the most neglected subjects of study is found on the last page, where everything is restored. Now notice that. One page we were perfect, the next page we fell. The entire content of the Bible is God bringing us back to where we need to be. And then he finally does so. But you know, we read through these two passages in Revelation 21 and 22 so quickly. And many who comment and who want to uh, explore these passages expositionally feel that the best way to handle them is just to bring about an allegorical meaning to these things that John writes to us. But I don't believe they're meant to be interpreted in an allegorical position. They're meant to be interpreted literally. It's interesting, everything starts in a garden, and guess where everything ends? In a garden. Did you ever see that before? That perfection are the bookends of the Bible from start to finish. And you and I one day will enjoy that restored position before God in and through the salvation that Christ has provided for us. One defined it as such when he wrote, he says, the restoration of the individual in all creation can be summed up as such. The returning of something or someone to their original state through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, 
both humanity and creation will eventually be restored to this state in the final work of Jesus Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, there were echoes of this restoration. Uh, echoes like uh, ripples on a calm pond after a stone has been thrown into it. And these echoes went out from every projected point of that encounter and have gone throughout the Bible. And many have been confused in how we should handle these uh, glimpses into what God was going to do ultimately in and through the person of Jesus Christ. For example, if I may direct your attention to Isaiah eleven six through 9. Notice these words. When Isaiah writes, Now the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now reading that, as a Jewish individual, you would have to immediately, because of the natural context in which all of us have grown up, say, well, this must be allegorical. It must be figurative in its language. It must be read poetically, because this could never happen literally, could it? No, it will happen literally just as Isaiah stated that it would. This is the restoration of all things. This is when God's work will be coming to its fruition in and through the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, later on in Isaiah, notice these words, if you will, in Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. When Isaiah writes, he states, Behold, I create a new heavens, and a new earth. And the formal things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall there be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit, inhabit in them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree, they shall uh, the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. 
for they shall be offsprings of the blessedness of the Lord and their descents with them. Behold, I call and I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And then lastly, in Isaiah 66, once again Isaiah states this. He says, For the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. And your offspring and your, uh, and your name shall remain. From the new moon to the new moon, from the Sabbath to the Sabbath, all flesh come to worship before me, declares the Lord. So in the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, you have these prophecies given. That now, from the time of Christ's first coming till today, we have another 2,000 years that remove us from that time till now. So 2,700 years ago, Isaiah was already calling for a new heaven and a new earth. And everything within this new heaven and new earth will appear to have been changed from its most fundamental elements. And everything will work again as God originally intended and created it to work. So this morning I bring you to the book of Revelation, if I may. And we begin in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And notice with me that John writes, and he begins with these words, And let me know if they sound familiar to you. John writes and states, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and the first, uh, I'm sorry, the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. Coincidence? Or is he writing concerning the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied 20 years ago? Uh, 700 years ago from today. Let us understand that during the first coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus continued to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, did he not? In fact, the Jewish people were so in tune to what he was saying about the kingdom of God that they actually interpreted as meaning that he was now going to help them overthrow the oppression of the Roman Empire. And that he was going to once again restore their national sovereignty to the nation of Israel. For the prophecies that Isaiah speak of, they speak of these things in the contents of a context of the rising of the root of Jesse. One that would come after King David to reestablish his throne for all eternity. And of course, Jesus Christ fulfilled that, that prophecy. It is Jesus Christ who succeeded King David to fulfill the the role of king over Israel and over all the world and to do so for all eternity. And throughout the Gospels, the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus would say. The kingdom of God is at hand. Well, the perfected kingdom of God will be found and realized in this new state, the new heaven and the new earth. So Jesus began to give us glimpses of this perfect, restored world to come. 
Do you know how he did so? He did so when he gave hearing to the deaf. He did so when he gave sight to the blind. He did so when he gave life to death. I guarantee you that now knowing that, you will never read those miracles the same way again. Jesus was giving us glimpses of what he ultimately was going to do. It was more than just healing these people so they could have an, a momentary temporal uh, you know, existence here on this earth to enjoy it to its fullest. No. He was basically saying to demonstrate that I am inaugurating the coming of the kingdom of God, I'm going to give you glimpses of what the restored will look like. And one right after he did. And people were amazed by it. Because only God could do what he did. Isn't it interesting that when he started his ministry in the book of Luke, Luke specifically points to this being the beginning and what books does Jesus quote from when he is in the synagogue before the people and stops short of its complete and utter fulfillment? The book of Isaiah. Coincidence? I don't think so. And what Jesus started, he will complete. And so John sees this completion. And he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And that word new to us can be really uh, minimized to think only new compared to something old. I have an old one and I have a new one. But the word new there in the Greek is so much, is so much more uh, comprehensive that it means brand new. That it, there isn't any stain of sin upon it. And death has not laid its fingerprints upon it. It is brand new. Brand spanking new. You know, were you one of those kids who got a toy on Christmas you unwrapped it. It was the toy that you've been waiting for, or the you know uh, dollhouse you've been waiting for, or the you know wagon you've been waiting for, to only find out that the toy is broken and damaged within the box. It is one of the greatest letdowns, isn't it? And then your Christmas is reduced to standing in line with the toy underneath your uh, arm in the returns aisle, and you're just like, man, I thought I was getting a new one. And now I have to return one. And then you get up there to find out they have to give you a rain check. Can you tell this happened to me? And, and, but I'm over it. Yeah, I'm okay. Um, because they didn't have any more. No, when God does everything, he does it perfectly. And everything will be brand new. And notice how he describes the newness as he continues in the next three verses. He describes it first and foremost by stating clearly, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Does that mean there isn't any water in the new heavens and the new earth? No, but the sea to the mind of the Jewish person reading this at this time was one of the most um, uh, feared aspects of God's creation. It was... Hitting the sea was taking your life into your own hands. Hitting the sea was uh, really uh, putting your life in jeopardy for the purpose and the cause needed at that moment. So he's saying that in the new heaven and new earth, there isn't a catalyst that brings about great fear. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now when we talk about Jerusalem, let us understand that of course we understand it to be a city. The city of Jerusalem. But in actuality, God saw it as the place and point where he interceded and interacted with his people. He saw it as an incredible um, epicenter for all that happens here on this earth. And so the dwelling place between God and man has become one. Notice what he says here. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Notice the language when it talks about the bride of Christ and so on and so forth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Then he goes on to change everything. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have all, the word all could be put in the, in the English text. It's more comprehensive than simply have passed away. For the former things have passed away. The former things all have passed away, I think is better in the Greek. And so everything is renewed at this time. But the ultimate, the ultimate objectives of God in the salvation process are all lined for us here. He makes everything new. Number one. Number two, the old have passed away. They've been done away with, never to come back again. Number three, the interaction and the relationship between man and God has been fully established at this point, right? There is no more separation. There is no more veil separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. There is no uh, separation of the people within the temple courts such as a place for the Gentile, a place for the Jewish men, a place for the Jewish women, etc. All of that has been eliminated. And notice the language that John uses for the first coming of Jesus Christ when he says that God is now dwelling amongst us. That the Logos, the Word of God, became flesh. And what did He do? He dwelt amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, ultimately, that relationship is secure and permanent, and realized here in the new heavens and the new earth. And then notice, everything changes back. There will be no more sadness, for every tear from their eyes will be wiped away. And death, no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have all passed away. Remember what Paul said in the process of reconciliation back to God, that we are new creations in Christ. All things have passed away. You starting to see the big picture now? This is what he's referring to. This is what he's getting to. That God is going to bring everything back to this perfected state. There will be no more sickness No more pain, no more suffering, no more social injustice, no more corruption, no more evil, 
nothing. It'll all be done away with once and for all. There will be no more physical limitations. For the Bible clearly teaches that all of us who are in Christ will be given new glorified bodies to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth to its fullest. As these bodies were meant to be and to enjoy what God has created here, our new bodies that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 5 will be designed to enjoy this new heaven and new earth. But I want to bring to your attention the finality of all this. It's not going back again. He's not going to perfect it all and restore it all and then someone go out to a tree and find a serpent and eat of that fruit that was forbidden them and it all starts again. It's not going to happen. Can you imagine that? We all get to this perfect place and then one Yahoo wants to go out and eat an apple and he comes back. This thing's delicious! Yeah, that saint, that uh, serpent guy really pointed at me in a good direction. Yeah, yeah, you should get the GPS on your app, you know. It's a good thing. Never going back. All things have passed away. This is the restoration that Jesus is pointing us to. And in it, I, I want you to notice those four categories that I say were greatly affected by the fall have all been restored here in the uh, new heavens and the new earth. You know, where we talk about theology, the perfect relationship with God, biology, we are now everlasting creatures. When we talk about psychology, we'll be thinking as God thinks. And number three, when it talks about sociology, we'll be brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God and love will have its perfect work amongst us. Everything will be restored that was tainted by the fall, by sin, and by death. If you look further with me in Revelations chapter 22, I'd like to read a little further, if I may, with you. And let us look at the first five verses this time. John then continues to write in chapter one of verse 20, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 1, when he states that the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright and crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face. Notice that. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. For they will need no light for lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light. And they will reign for when? Ever and ever and ever and ever. It's in the continuance, so just keep going. Forever and ever and ever. This new city... God himself will sit on the throne within its center. From the throne room himself, from the throne room itself, a river of water will be flowing. 
And undoubtedly, this is the water that Jesus spoke of when he says, I can give you living water. And then the tree of life is there, that same tree that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden so they would not return to eat, is now open and available to all there. And in this tree, there's fruit being born, and that fruit is for the healing of the nations. The actual word in the Greek is very interesting. It means therapeutic. Now, even though we are in a perfected state, it appears that this fruit will actually continue the perfection forward. Now, I have to be honest with you. These are the least studied passages, and I think all of the Bible, maybe next to the book of Lamentations. The reason I say that is because so many individuals who attempt to interpret these passages try to fill in all the details with speculation and conjecture. I won't do that to you this morning because I believe John wrote it the way he meant to write it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to leave a mystery and an ambiguity to it all because he could not condense in human language that in which he saw. Why do I believe that? Because Paul, when he was taken to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, stated when he returned, he couldn't verbalize it. I I can't contain all that I have seen in the finite language in which is available to me. So I want to leave a mystery to to you. But we see for certain a completed, restored creation that Jesus Christ provided through our salvation. There's much speculation written about this. There is much conjecture written about these chapters. But theologically it is sound. It shows us that Jesus Christ was faithful to complete the work in which he had started. And I encourage you to read these chapters. I thought it interesting this week that I happen to be in this particular portion of Scripture because on Thursday I got word that my, one of my friends from years ago, wife passed away due to a brain tumor. She had been struggling with it for over a year. They had a, a very happy marriage. They both loved the Lord tremendously. He would occasionally put a blurb on Facebook asking for prayer for his wife as she went through the different treatment options. They handled themselves in such class and such um, beauty that it was a witness to be sure. And even when she had died, he still gave all glory to God for having the time he had with her. And the day after she died... He celebrated their 35-year wedding anniversary. And you could be devastated by a story like that, and undoubtedly their lives will be changed forever. Their children, he is a widower at this time. But then I read this, and I read that there is no more suffering, there is no more crying. There is no more disease. There is no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And death, oh death, death is no more. This truth can sustain us in difficult times such as this. But you and I need now to 
bring this all together and wrap it up neatly because we've given you a lot of theological information. But what is this intended to do within my life? How is this meant to impact my life? How shall I apply all that God has now revealed through the salvation process? Well, notice what Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 13. Peter does our work for us and shows us how we should respond to all that God has done for us. And notice the context in which he places this application within. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and its works that are done in it will be exposed. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of our God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolve, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He is saying that in the light of this revelation, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ should live as if we are citizens of the kingdom of God. That our king is Jesus himself. And being part of the kingdom of God lifts us to a standard of morality that the world does not know and cannot attain in and of itself. But in and through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit, you, can I, you and I can walk within here and now. And we should be ambassadors like Paul stated. And that people who see us should see and know that something greater is yet to occur. For you and I, this is the worst it'll ever get. But for those in this world apart from Christ, this is the best it'll ever be. You and I today need to once again reevaluate who we are in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we are going through this renewal process, no, we will not be perfect. But where sin abounds, grace abounds even further. And you and I, therefore, should look to heaven as our home and allow the temporal things to be weighed in the comparison of those that are eternal. And you and I should be living for the purpose of Jesus Christ and those who see us should be able to say that there's something different about you. That I'm living in a hope that they do not have. I'm guided by a peace that they cannot have. I have a peace that surpasses all understanding that they cannot embrace. I have a hope that they do not have. I have a love that they've never experienced. They should be able to see that in and through you and I. In conclusion, I want to bring you back to Isaiah, if I may. 
Because this all began through one person. This all began because one was obedient from time past to come on behalf of his father. And notice that Isaiah states for us clearly in the midst of all of this prophecy given. In Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, we read these words of this one. He says, The Spirit of the Lord, of God, the Lord God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and, to, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint, a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified. And as we conclude it all this Tuesday, as we now bring it to that individual who made all of this possible, because he came 2,000 years ago, he was able to rescue us. He was able to bring us into a relationship. He began a renewal process in it through His Spirit. And one day, that work in which God has begun in you, He will be faithful to complete. And it's all because of Jesus.